Welcome to a special edition of the Corliss Barfield podcast. My name is Ted Corliss, and we are here to discuss and update you on the status of the Surfside collapse in Southern Florida. As of this morning, there are still 156 souls unaccounted for, and the death toll right now uh, is at five, with the fear that that number could be much higher. As of today, of the 136 units located on this property, 55 of them are literally a pile of rubble. Now, our primary purpose here today is to share a status, of course, but more importantly, to talk to some professionals who have the experience in dealing with these large catastrophic losses. And we have a real treat this morning having an opportunity to talk to George Keyes, of the Keys Consulting Group. And before George uh, starts, I, I want to share with you some of his experience. Uh, George has more than 40 years experience in the insurance business, started out uh, with decades of experience representing insurance companies as you know some of the largest insurance companies in the United States. But in the early 1990s, shifted his focus, and now he exclusively represents policyholders and that has taken him all over the globe. George, welcome. Thank you, Dad. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. George, I guess our first question out of the box is, I just want to get your reaction. Have you ever seen anything like this in the United States? Well, not in the United States. have I. I've never seen anything like this here, but I have seen it abroad, where buildings, uh, for whatever reason, have pancaked. But usually that's following like an earthquake or a tsunami type uh, issue. Now you said you've actually had experience in dealing with in S South America. I think you mentioned in Chile uh, where uh, you, these buildings, buildings in different environments are not properly constructed or they're subject to, like you said, earthquakes, tsunamis. When you have a project like this, well, let's, let's put you in the spot, the rather uncomfortable spot of being the insurance adjuster for Surfside. What's the first thing you would do when you landed on the property? Well, I think that the very first thing that the adjuster will have to do is to employ the appropriate experts to come out and try to start determining, number one, what caused the, uh, the issue to, to occur in the first place. Uh, that is in no way to circumvent the, the focus of getting, God love them, the people that may still be in the building out, of course, but... In all honesty, there's a very little chance that the government, understandably so, will, will not allow the adjusters in there now for quite some time until, until they've exhausted all efforts uh, to you know, re remove any people that still may be in there. Uh, but once that happens, the, the adjuster will employ a series of experts, and those series of experts will do a forensics investigation. And start to determine, in their opinion, exactly what caused this catastrophe to happen. And it is that finding that that adjuster will uh, rely upon in determining whether or not there's actually coverage under the policy for this loss. The, the, the collapse uh, that, that, that has occurred here, uh, you know, in my experience in dealing with these kinds of collapse matters, do, do you agree that most of these collapse 
coverage cases turn on what actually caused the building to come down. Is that an accurate statement? That's very accurate. And uh, under the collapse coverage portion of the policy and under, under the law in most jurisdiction is that when, when, the, when you can determine exactly what caused the building to collapse, such as, I don't know, a termite infestation or a latent defect or anything like that, and if it's hidden and it's not unknown to the, to the insured that there is a condition uh, that is ongoing that puts that building in imminent danger of collapse, but the building has not yet collapsed, uh, and then it does collapse, then the, the, actual, the actual peril of collapse comes into play when the building does collapse. Well, you know, a lot of times, and uh, I've seen this, I'm sure you have as well, we're actually, believe it or not, arguing in some settings over whether a building is in a state of collapse. Now, this one, that's not going to be much of an issue to describe. I think I mentioned earlier, of the 136 units, 55 of them are literally gone. How, uh, how is that going to impact the ability of any engineer to assess what was the ultimate final moment that caused this building to collapse? You know, that's a good question. And like I said earlier, I'm certainly not an engineer, but I do believe that they will go, they meaning the forensic engineers will go into all the records that are available. Uh, look at the original drawings, look at the as built drawings, look at uh, any type of other engineering reports uh, to perform maintenance to the building. Uh, put a very close eye on those reports to determine what an, uh, an engineer may have seen the, the building uh, looking like immediately prior to, or a few years prior to this catastrophic event. To me, the, 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 the issue that you won't hear anyone talk about for a while is what do you do with the remaining building? There's no doubt that the, that the one section has, has collapsed and in, in, in all essence, pancaked. The remaining building itself should give the engineers some type of, of roadmap, if you will, to determine how the building was put together versus how was it designed versus, you know, at what point in time did, did that construction, if, if it's dangerous or whatever, what caused the issue to occur? And I think that the, the, the remaining part of that structure will give them a lot of uh, clues. You know, um, as a lawyer who represents properties like these, uh, you know, especially if an LCAM is involved, a property management firm or whatever, you know, one of the things that it really struck me about is time. And that is that it appears from some of the information that's been disclosed so far that as early as uh, 2018, a report came out calling for a need for significant structural repairs structural repairs to this particular building that were either delayed or underway. This issue of time, how do you see that playing into the passage of almost three years following a report that was telling this association and its engineers that almost $10 million worth of repairs were being called for? Well, no doubt the insurance company will certainly try to use that report to uh, address a potential of 
no coverage under the policy because for insurance to respond to a claim, the loss must be fortuitous, as you know. So when you have an, an issue that appears to be ongoing, uh, such as the building moving, but not yet collapsing, that could be spun in some circles and under some policies as that is an ongoing issue. However, I think that the focus here needs to be not the ongoing issue because the ongoing issue of, of the building moving does not represent that the building will collapse. The fortuitous act of the building collapsing to me as a professional is when the policy should respond. Uh, you have a better vocabulary than I do, I think, <laughs> but I'm going to, I want to go ahead and define, I think what you mean by fortuitous, uh, or unexpected, would that be a fair definition of fortuitous? Unexpected and sudden and accidental. Uh, you know, it's uh, certainly, I think that anyone would be hard pressed to, to say that anyone knew this building was going to collapse. And therefore, to me, it fits under this sudden and accidental uh, aspect of fortuitous. Uh, now, uh, there, there's a likelihood here that the actual original construction or even the uh, how effective some of these subsequent attempts were made to stabilize the building, those, those could have been, we don't know yet, but they could have been as a result of uh, defective construction. If, if this turns out to be the result of uh, const defective construction, would we expect to see something like that covered under their policy? Well, Ted, it all depends on the policy and whether or not this policy has any anti-concurrent causation language within it. Uh, it's important to remember that the individual, the association itself is not making a claim for that uh, any type of alleged improper construction. It's making a claim for the resultant collapse. And it's that resultant collapse that one must look at to determine, okay, is this covered or not covered under the confines of the policy? All right, let me feed that back to you. I think I understand what you're saying that let's say in 2018, pursuant to the report that's been published there, let's say it says, just assume, I don't know, I wouldn't say this, but let's say it says that there had been improper or defective construction. If the building doesn't collapse, are you saying that the insured couldn't go to the, the insurance company and say, hey, we have a defectively constructed building. I'm going to make a claim for defective construction. You guys need to repair it. Here, they're not coming in and saying, hey, we have defective construction. What they're saying is our building has been pancaked. Is that my describing that? That's, that's exactly correct, Ted. And the, the main the main purpose uh, of of what you just said and, and the and the the bridge, if you will, to put that in proper context is simply this. Improper construction is not covered under this policy. I guarantee you that. Uh, however, the resultant loss of collapse and fire would be. As we all know, they've had re repeated fires there from what I've seen on TV. Correct. Uh, all of those resultant issues, uh, unless excluded, would be covered under the policy. I cannot think of any exclusions under any typical ISO-based policy that would prevent recovery uh, for the fire uh, or for the collapse itself. 
my understanding is that you've had an opportunity. Uh, we we want to you know preserve confidentiality here, but my understanding is you've spoken with some adjusters who are familiar with this particular area, or you may be familiar with this environment where this particular home, this particular condominium was located. Can you share some of those ideas? Sure. I, uh, I, I personally have uh, looked at a couple of different associations there that, that are in need of, of immediate bracing uh, and restoration. And bear in mind, again, I'm not an engineer, uh, but it, it's one of the things that we have to remember is that these buildings are getting older. And as they become older, much like humans, they become more fragile. Uh, and then they start dilapidating and breaking down unless they're properly maintained. Uh, I can tell you that other adjusters working for insurance companies as recently as yesterday told me that they are aware of other buildings in this area where they do have the appearance that they are sinking into the ground somewhat. That doesn't mean that they're going into a sinkhole. That just means that they appear to be going into the ground somewhat. The, uh, it, I, I have to believe that the intensity of the storms that we have experienced over this last decade may have accelerated a lot of those problems. And do, do you agree with that? Just that the intensity of the storms and the, the rising water table, uh, riser, rising seas, is this something that we're unfortunately going to start seeing more of? You know, I don't know about that, but what I can tell you, I want to speak to the first part of your question with regard to uh, the the what causes this, and do the, are the storms related in any way to the to the manifestation of these issues? I think it's very important for any time following a hurricane or a strong tropical storm that someone use a glazing consultant to come out and check the ability of the windows and doors to withstand water pressures at least to their original minimum design criteria. The failure to do that, which is widespread across many communities and especially by insurance companies, as far as testing goes on these windows, when windows leak and doors leak, they typically run down the perimeter walls. Sometimes they come inside the units, but sometimes that water goes straight down the perimeter walls, causing additional corrosion and, uh, spoli and, and spoliation of the, of the actual rebar and the construction aspects of the building. And when we put these cases together, that's one of the things that our engineers always check. And uh, several times they have been able to come back and in their report, say if this is not repaired, this could be, because uh, this could result in an imminent immediate danger. You know, I think that's a really good transition to ask to, to having us put together a short list here uh, for those associations that are so commonly re represented by uh, volunteer boards uh, made up of unit owners that live in these particular properties who gather regularly to manage the property. For a lot of these associations with, with individuals that may be retired uh, or may have no relevant experience to these, 
it seems like the first thing we'd want to say to our clients that we represent, yours and mine, the property managers and the associations, that the first thing is it's important to know what you don't know. And like you just pointed out, uh, regularly bringing in individuals to assess the building envelope to make sure that it's withstanding the stresses that it experiences. Um, what are some of the other things that you think we might be able to learn, at least already, from what we know about the Surfside collapse? Well, it's, it's important to, to, to follow what you just said. It's very important to have the experts look at the building, do water testing on windows and doors following a major wind event, because doors and windows themselves are designed with two major minimum design criteria. One is pressure, one is water resistance. You can, you can have failure of one of those without having failure of the other. But if your water resistance has failed or compromised because the wind pressures exceed the value of a rating, you can expect those windows and doors to leak. And when they do leak, there's going to cause a, a, a problem down the road one way or another. And it's a very expensive problem to fix if it's not caught early on. Well, I would, uh, uh, you know, when we started here today, the idea is the insurance company needs to hire appropriate professionals. But, uh, you know, I think what we see all the time is that the insurance company tends to rely heavily upon unlicensed, they're not engineers, they're just, what they're appropriately licensed insurance adjusters. But insurance adjusters, like you said, don't necessarily have the necessary training to vet these kinds of conditions. And so, yeah, we have to push on these insurance companies that they need to do more than a drive-by or a walk-through. There is no doubt about that. And uh, the I can tell you that there are some adjusters that do use just consultants with without an engineering background. But for the most part, when my firm's involved, they will bring out engineers uh, and glazing consultants but before we're involved, typically they do not uh, uh, for whatever reason. But I can tell you that it should be done by both the insurance company and the insured or their representative immediately following these wind events. Right. I guess it would be good. Uh, you know, those property managers out there, uh, I mean, it would have been really beneficial, for example, if prior to the 2021 storm season, if there had been some recordation, video photographs of the condition of the property, such that if it is damaged in some way, the insured has a record of how the storm took the building from where it was to where it ended up. That seems like a good idea. Well, you, you know, Ted, one of, the, one of the issues that really needs to happen here is whoever ends up representing this association uh, they need to get a copy of the insurance company's uh, original underwriter's inspection report. That report itself, prior to the inception of the policy that was in place at the time of this loss, that report almost always has photographs. And those photographs, along with the, the actual inputting of the condition of the building by the inspector, can help go a long way in, in notifying and, and informing the insurance company what the building looked like when they first wrote the coverage versus what it looks like now. 
And what happened? What is the common element that would have changed that building's position and standing from prior to the loss to post-loss? That is very, very important. And I believe that it will help uh, once you get those, your hands on those documents and they're almost always done on a large condominium association uh, setting only you know, because the insurance company should know what it is they're writing before they write it. And number two, they have to, from a liabilities perspective, they have to be able to come in and say, okay, is the pool properly fenced? Uh, do we have proper uh, you know, racks for the AC units? Whatever those issues may be, they have to make a general inspection to determine whether or not they want to take on that risk. That report and photographs that are generated from that inspection can be very telling on this particular loss itself. Well said, if an insurance company is willing to put its money on the line, you would assume that they would do their own due diligence to determine what the state of the building was in at the time the insurance became effective. And so that if later there is an issue, it seems more difficult for the insurance company to argue that, the oh no, we knew the building was in ill repair, not saying this building was, but we knew the building had a likelihood of having some kind of significant structural event. And when they do it and it says state of building, good, makes it a lot more difficult for the insurance company to come along and say, whoa, 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 that's all because of the problems you guys have been having for years. That's exactly right, Ted. And I think that the, the true uh, nucleus of what we're discussing is this. Because this building has clearly collapsed, if there was an obvious issue with the inspection with regard to this inspector seeing a potential collapse issue, the insurance company would have never written collapse coverage on the building, which is a component of all, all commercial policies. Right. And for these larger policies, uh, they usually obligate the insured to pay for an expensive, they're not cheap, an expensive appraisal of the building to determine what would be an appropriate amount of money to insure a building like this for. And in that context, they will assess these kinds of structural members to make sure that they're in appropriate shape. And then that document very well becomes something that the insured can rely upon later when the loss occurs. That's, that's absolutely correct. All right. That is a matter of fact, the adjuster himself uh, for the insurance company, that should be one of the first documents that he looks at. What did the building look like when we first insured it versus what does it look like today? What caused that change? Right. Well, let's hope that first and foremost, that we're able to, you know, recover uh, more people and that, the, 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 that there aren't any more deaths. I don't know if that's, I doubt that's going to be the case here. Uh, but this insurance policy would not provide coverage for any kind of bodily injury component for the unit owners, would it? That's correct. There would be no bodily injury coverage, unfortunately, for these poor people. Uh but everyone in the association, whether it's still their units are still standing or, the, of course, the units that have collapsed, they need to place their, uh, their own personal insurance agents and carriers on notice of their HO6 claim, which is their renter's policy or their homeowner's policy. And HO6 is basically the, 
the policy that under Florida Statute 718.111 covers the, the interior finishes, if you will, for that particular owner of that unit. Uh, and those though that notice needs to include the the peril of collapse uh, so so that they get the proper consideration under their policies. George, I really, really appreciate you uh, coming in uh, to address some of these issues very beneficial to people out there who uh, obviously you want associated with the surfside collapse, but also those individuals out there that are on boards of directors of so many associations in the state of Florida. They, they really benefit from your opinion, and I thank you for that. George, thank you again for being here today uh, and sharing your ideas uh, and experience with us. Uh, more than 40 years experience. Uh, and George again, George Keyes is again with uh, Keyes Claims Consulting out of Naples, Florida. Uh, but uh, don't worry, uh, it doesn't matter if you're in Chile or if you're in New Zealand, uh, George will find you. Thanks, George. Thank you for having me.